Moto One Podcast Network. You're listening to Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast. The podcast that's kind of like a bad rash. We come back every week no matter how hard you try to stop us. Join our supporters by heading over to patreon.com forward slash creative writing to find out more. You can find us on every single social media outlet in the entire universe, even ones that haven't been invented yet. And now, let's talk about all things two-wheeled, except for bicycles and trikes. Well, let's talk about them, too. recent coronavirus pandemic, creative writing will be postponed until further notice. Psych! We are here. We are back. This is episode two, one, two of the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast, and we won't be silenced by a pandemic. We we will stay home out of the public because our mama told us to. Um, I know not everybody's happy that we're back, but guess what? We are. And, um, patrons, you got like a totally unedited different version of the show that I was going to hack up and edit anyway and add some more upcoming events and blah, 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 blah. But at this point, it would be easier to read off the stuff that's not happening. Actually, the, the list of upcoming events is a very short one. I hope that Dio de los Motos happens at House of Machines next Saturday, um, because I was planning on going to that, so I hope that happens. Um, and I hope there's a couple other things that, uh, you know, the Californian, I hope, still happens. That's in May, so hopefully things have blown over by then. Um, and I hope that the classic track days that are coming up happen. Um, one thing I'm going to tell you right out of the gate is uh, Mama Tried got canceled. We've been talking about that um, coming up here for for like a month now maybe more. Um, one thing that we didn't mention, but that is happening and you should still go because it's still happening. Our friend, uh, and patron, great patron of the show, very big, very bigly. She has elements of medical. Her name is Nerissa Cerny and she is going to be at the rogues gallery, uh, tomorrow. It's really going to be happening for real. And you guys should still go to that. <clears throat> Mama tried, got shut down to some degree. I, I've been looking at Instagram posts. Must've been bummed. Uh, a big bummer for people that paid airline airfare and all this stuff. But listen, we'll talk about this in a minute because Wiggins and I talked about the coronavirus as well um, in our pre-recorded stuff. So, but anyway, we will talk. Well, we'll I'll put that in here later. I'm gonna chop some of the funny stuff that Wiggins and I said. We did have a good time. We did hang out, but it t- turned out mostly to be Wiggins making some knives. And I did. I wanted to mention uh, there's gonna be a little bit of knife talk on tonight's show. So before we get into the edited part, I did want to say some stuff about that. And there will be some other gems like this. And I think we all know how we feel about two strokes. 
two strokes are for white fucking trash. Exactly. So, <laughs> what is that from? <laughs> it sounds like Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage, take it away. That is not Nicolas Cage, but uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, later Wiggins was like, we should have people call in and do drops. And I said, listen, I've been asking the patrons to do that forever. Um, and also that will become a new drop. Thank you Wiggins for that. Um, and then there's other gems like this one. Why do you have a basket of cats over here? You don't anymore. <laughs> no. Well, when it was speeded up, my laugh sounded way funnier. Uh, but anyway, yes, let's get into this week's show. Um, before we get to the the edited parts and the parts where Wiggins says stuff like this. So, yeah, I was looking up this stupid thing. Um, SARS was back in like 2003, 2004. We didn't – I don't remember us making this big of a deal about it. Now, and no, that's the, killing – The explanation is simple why we didn't worry about it in 2004. Obviously, it's fucking Obama's fault. <laughs> oh, fucking, fucking Obama. Duh. <laughs> okay. Well, I didn't have the heart to tell him that he wasn't, he was still a state senator in 2004. He wasn't even a U.S. senator yet, and he wasn't president until 2009. But that wasn't, that wouldn't have been funny. So, anyway, long story short, we did have a good time. We made some jokes, but the stuff that we were joking about in the last like 24 hours the shit has literally hit the fan and it's kind of not funny so i have some perspectives on that first things first let's get into a little bit of talk and then we will get into this week's show Hey everybody, this is Junkie, and I want to give you a little warning. On this show, there's going to be some knife talk. Make sure that you know your local laws, statutes, and codes regarding knives. I'll tell you why. I was reading an article the other day on Rider's Law, and it was regarding the legality of carrying a blade in California. A lot of bikers like to carry knives. I know I do. I carried, or I carried that knife that Wiggins made for me every single day. Use it. Uh, like a beast, like a tool. Now it's part of my repertoire. Uh, I used to never leave home without it, and now I do, and I'll tell you why. Um, according to this article that I read on Writer's Law, the legality of carrying a blade in California is muddy at best, even for the courts. So you can imagine cops. So here's the deal. After reading the article, there's a few takeaways that I had. And uh, the, the disclaimer on their site is that this is in no way uh, intended to be like a legal... Um, advice. So if you got in trouble, seek a lawyer's help, get some, you know, get some actual, somebody that knows uh, law legality. If you got a pending case and all that stuff, you know, you need to hit them up. So here's the skinny. Uh, after reading it, the, the takeaways and, and the laws from what I could discern are this, that openly carrying a blade over three inches long is illegal in Los Angeles. But openly carrying a knife with a blade longer than two and a half inches is illegal in California. So it seems like you can override the state law by being in the city. Like, I don't know. And on another note, possession of a, of a knife longer than two and a half inches is illegal on any school or university campus concealed or openly carried. So in that case, you can't even openly carry a knife that's legal in Los Angeles, uh, 
if you're on a, a campus within Los Angeles, um, and that's K through 12 or university. And I get it. They don't want blades to be long enough. I mean, two and a half inches can still go in and hit some vital organs. But I think that's the thing is that you can't, you know, you're not going to be chopping someone's head off or doing too much damage, especially with the obesity epidemic, right? Like two and a half inches might be enough uh, to keep someone's vital organs protected if they get stabbed. I don't know. I'm not 100% sure what the laws, what the rationale behind the laws are. I can only tell you what the actual law says. To make things more complicated, Los Angeles Code 5501 also makes it illegal to conceal a knife with a blade longer than three inches, period. And to keep things like just totally simple, make sure that your knife has a blade that is two inches or shorter and make sure it folds. This brings us to the second point, no pun intended, but fixed blades. In short, openly carrying a fixed blade that's three inches in Los Angeles or two and a half inches or shorter is okay, but you conceal it and you're asking for trouble. Fixed blades of any length are illegal to conceal, be it like half an inch or 12 inches. And I don't know where you're going to be hiding that. I know you're not that well endowed. So these are labeled as dirks or daggers, and they comprise any fixed blade stabbing device, even ice picks. Um, Our former co-host found this out the hard way and is currently in jail facing felony charges. More on that in a minute. We'll we'll stick a pin in that and come back to it. But on top of that, fixed blades and switch blades are also illegal to carry in public. They're even illegal on private property if they're concealed. You can't have them in your boot, your pocket, your vest, nothing, even if you're on private property. So if you have a switchblade, you can have it displayed up there on your shelf or you can be showing someone your collection or maybe even have it in your toolbox, um, but not on your person or that's even illegal, even on private property. So that's pretty crazy. Uh, talk about people getting into... Uh, sticky water. But then again, sticky water, that's not real, a real thing unless you're from Flint, Michigan. Um, I don't know. The only thing I can think of is that when an officer is called to your property uh, to resolve an issue, they don't want, I mean, I understand they don't want anything, um, any surprises. So they don't want you know, some switchable weapon to be pulled out from, from any secret spots. That's usually why they pat you down. And on the other hand, I'm all for like demilitarizing the police. And if you don't want like a freaking military dude in a flak jacket showing up, we better kind of like step back a little bit ourselves and not present a danger where they're going to feel, you know, it's both sides just ramping up, I feel at this point. So there's a whole, I'm not going to go into whole that. Let's just stick with the legality of knives. I just, I, I have a feeling that's part of the problem is that uh, you got something concealed, they're going to worry about it. So don't do it. Um, switchblades. Now, what is a switchblade? Obviously, we know the old, the old 50s movies where you push a button and a blade shoots out. Sure. Any spring-loaded knife, but also any knife that has like a squeezable handle that'll let the blade pop out. A uh, butterfly knife can be considered a switchblade because you use your wrist to flick it open and there's no way to... Uh, you know, force you to open the blade. It's an easily opened blade. Um, a gravity knife where you might push a button and the blade drops out. If you've ever played Assassin's Creed, you all know about those. Um, anything that, even a knife that is has resistance or a detent mechanism, and that mechanism is, is mechanism is broken or the spring is broken that might hold it in place and make you have to work to flick it open. Um, 
Even those are illegal if that's been modified or is broken. So anything that can be quickly flicked open um, by movement of hand, actuation of device, spring, etc., that etc. Actually, that is a, a switchblade. Um, basically, a knife that is not a small foldable pocket knife is illegal to carry, and it's also illegal to brandish or expose uh, in an angry manner. That should be pretty much. Um, I mean, that that's kind of goes should go without saying. But switchblades aren't the only thing that is illegal. Uh, pen knives. Lipstick knives, belt buckle knives, ceramic or plastic knives that aren't detectable by uh, machines like a metal detector. Those are also illegal. Anything that is disguised or that is non-detectable uh, is also very illegal. And it's to carry it on your person, you're just asking for it. And I know bikers, we carry stuff on us. I, Like I said, I carried Wiggins blade with me every day. I measured the blade after I read this law, and it's two and a half inches, so it's perfect. If I carry it on the outside, I can still wear it to my kid's school. I don't have a clip for that sheath, so I've been leaving it at home until I get one. But at the same time, you're walking around with a knife on your hip at school, people might wonder some stuff. So I just decided it's safe to leave it at home. I have a Leatherman if I really want like a multi-tool with a blade, um, and I have a, a Saratoga like rip-off Swiss Army knife that's even got a corkscrew on it. So, you know, in case I need to pop open a bottle of wine or something, I'm prepped, and I don't have to worry about getting, uh, you know, frist or, you know, any, anything like that. So... Let's get back to the brandishing thing. Brandishing any knife, especially a dirk or a dagger, uh, is basically <laughs> very illegal. If you do it in an angry way uh, or a threatening way, I mean, and that goes without saying. You hear about maniacs waving knives all the time. Now, if you are protecting yourself, that's totally legal. And that, uh, you know, there's a difference between like brandishing a weapon and self protection. There's also a difference between. Uh, you know, carrying something and having something at the ready in your home, you know, these are these are two different areas uh, of legality. And for motorcyclists and bikers in general, we I know we like to carry stuff a lot of times. So just make sure you know what's legal in your state. In California, turns out it's pretty small. Fucking Indiana, you can probably go around with a machete on your hip. So I don't I have no idea. So make sure you know what is the law where you live, but barring anything getting canceled, any other goddamn event getting canceled, like Mama uh, Born Free or anything, hopefully by the summertime, if enough people stay inside and viruses die or whatever, however the hell we're going to contain this stupid thing, um, hopefully these summer and fall shows happen. Of course they don't allow weapons, but you can't bring tools. So, I mean, it's all it all depends. Don't don't put yourself in that position. And uh, the this article that I read also says that police can give you a ticket or arrest you based on things that they think are illegal by what they observe or the probable cause that they have. And it doesn't necessarily make it illegal, but you don't want to waste your time and money fighting it in court to prove that what you have actually is legal. You shouldn't be in, it's just like uh, getting in a crash. You shouldn't be in the situation where bad driving or riding is happening in the first place. Just stay out of it. And, you know, take a foldable pocket knife if you need to and make sure it's under uh, three inches if you're going to conceal it. Spend your time and money on motorcycle parts instead. Do what old Jack Burton says. 
telling the checks in the mail. I don't know. But what I'm saying is, you know, there's two things you can spend your, your money on rather than going to court. You can buy a field initiative knife and uh, make sure you do all the proper things with it that you will should do. Or buy motorcycle parts and go racing. Let's all get out there on two wheels and party it up, homie. All right. Junk out. Thanks to Clogman's Pickles and Prider's Leathers for providing funding for this feature. Say what? If the cat like steps on something, it actually says rain itself. It's like rain! rain. <laughs> that reminds me. Hey, last week's jokes went over like a fart in a submarine, by the way. Ex- <laughs> the crummy ones that I told. But I did want to say, what was Bruce Lee's favorite drink? What the? Thank you very much. That was Chris going on life support. <laughs> that joke damn near killed him. Yes, there's the crickets. <laughs> okay. Well, everybody, let's get back into this week's show. We're already 17 minutes into uh, a fail fest. Um, I did want to say there's a few things that I started to mention uh, in, when Chris and I were dabbling with actually recording a goddamn show. Maybe I'll just like roll the intro here of what it was going to sound like. And uh, yeah, let's do that real quick. We'll just get into that and then I will completely cut everything else out and we will just roll with this show how I'm going to do it now. So Wiggs, we need to determine that you are not Waylon Jennings. Um, Oh, you want to hear me play guitar? No. I can prove I'm not Waylon real quick. I just want to hear you answer a few questions. How many times did you say again in the song Highwayman? Oh, I say but and um, I don't say again. Okay. So first first point that I don't think you're Waylon Jennings. Second, where in Texas is it that ain't nobody feeling no pain? Amarillo. Okay. You're definitely not Waylon Jennings, but this last question should seal the deal. Are you dead? No. Okay. You are not Waylon Jennings. He looks like Waylon Jennings. He sings like Waylon Jennings. But we do, in fact, have Chris Wiggins here in the house with us tonight. I remember if the song I really like is Waylon or not. It's uh, Outlaw. This Outlaw shit done got out of hand. That's probably. I have to look it up. Is that Waylon or is that. uh, That sounds like a fucking. uh, What was that crazy dude's name? A David Allen Coe. No, it's it's not a David Allen Coe. Uh, is it Outlaw shit? That sounded like a Johnny Cash song. Waylon didn't... Outlaw ha- Bit. Yeah, it's Waylon Jennings' Outlaw Bit. Outlaw Bit. It's it's pretty goddamn good song. Yeah. Hey, most of Waylon's... He talks about singing through his nose, which I don't think means singing <laughs> through his nose. Yeah. A lot of Waylon Jennings stuff was good. Him and Johnny Cash, man, they led a fucking hell of a life. Always... There, was a, there was a lot of them back then that, you know, the... I mean, I attribute it to... Um, I mean, you think about it to a lot of, like... Cash and Elvis and those guys, like a lot of them toured together. And well, Waylon Willie, uh, Johnny Cash, and Chris Christopherson were the highwaymen, and they had that yeah. famous, uh, you know, on the road again, and all that shit yeah. was written about their times together. And the song The Highwayman, and the song The Highwayman. And what? you said again, I think, uh, a total of six times mm. when you were singing about being a bridge builder, a dam builder. <laughs> but we determined that that wasn't you after all. But yeah, no, man, they uh, fucking outlaw. 
outlaw country. That's my favorite. That's what I grew up on as a kid. So I think that's why I like it so much. Well, what I like about it is, yeah, it's country, but it's really like it's not what we call country today. Just like a lot of the modern rock and Nothing. roll isn't really rock and roll today. It's very. Um, it's it's what they were living, right? And it had so much more like soul to it, and it's yeah. when rock and roll was good, and dude. Country was good, and, and if you want to hear like what real country was like back then, too, you got to listen to Jerry Reed, dude. He was always singing about. I remember somebody, Tom T. Hall or somebody had a song called we "Welfare." Got some Coulter Wall, yeah. Uh, you know thanks, he he sounds a lot. Like, okay, okay, my bad. Junkie's bad. Uh, it appears that I, in editing, erased the wrong part. I erased the part where we talk about knives and where Wiggins was hand making knives as we were uh, making the starting the show. I don't know what happened to that. Did I erase it all the way out? Did I lose it? I don't know where that file went, but. Um, I'm, that's the part that I meant to have right here. I did not mean to have us talking about country music, and I didn't even mention Juice Newton and Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton. We were talking about all these idiots, Shooter Jennings. I mean, come on. And so uh, I think I try to bring it around back to motorcycles here in a second, so maybe like we'll pop back in here in a second. But we talked about NASCAR. We talked about all crazy stuff. If you're a patron, go listen to the show. You, you know, Obviously, it's not going to be recognizable, but I think I start bringing it right back around to motorcycles, like right around here. Let's listen. Jax's wife on Sons of Anarchy, which was that motorcycle. Shooter Jennings? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. And uh, which was that motorcycle documentary from a few years ago. <laughs> she was also in um, Mad Men. Yeah, something like her. that. Something like that. Yeah, my wife was my wife had knew, known her from had nooner. My wife had a nooner with her um from some other show that I was like, "Oh yeah, I really dig her. She's a cool chick. She seems down to earth. She actually was a judge at the Venice Vintage uh clubs um fuck, what's that rally they ha- well, the Venice Vintage Rally that they have every year. She was a judge there for one of the shows like about 4 or 5 years ago. Mm. Uh they do like a little bike show at the end of the ride. All right, you guys ready to get into the um, what's happening this week in motorcycles? Well, um, there is a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, the the word of the week is going to get said right here because I can't not say it. The weather has been shitty. I know shitty is not the right word. We but, could say drizzly. Oh, it's been more than drizzly, dude. It fucking I almost true. got I almost got knocked out by a you know you know what drop. We had some flooding. And some the street was definitely a river today. Yeah, but, well, that's, but I mean for like five minutes. It is California. Oh, really? So what we call rain. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Stella. I know you're eyeballing those snacks. Yep. Uh. Nice. Took them out. Airdrop. Yeah. Sorry, so Stella. you know what? What we relate to places like Wisconsin. They don't even. Well, it doesn't. It just comes down white. That's like daily there. for them. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't come down in wetness. But it's four feet of snow for them. Yeah, yeah. I well, yeah. That's the even thing. In July. So last night I was up a little bit late. Fuck daylight savings time. You know, good thing that's not the word of the week this week. Or I'd have a fucking hissy fit. Um, yeah, I, I am so not a morning person to begin with and the job that I've been working for the last like 20 years. Cause when I worked at a shop and, and now my job starts at fucking five 30 <laughs> for people on the East coast. So for a morning dude to have changed his life, to get up super early, it's just, it's not working, man. And so I was up super late, like an idiot when I knew I had to be up in about two and a half hours. And I heard this like, Sound like people were throwing fucking screws on top of my roof, and I was like, "Oh shit, that is rain!" And yep, sure enough, um, 
hang on real quick. I got to shoot somebody. We'll save you one, puppers. We, uh, we, we'll I swear we will. Here, I'll just punch this cat. Mm. Just tenderize it a little. <laughs> yeah. And um, so, yeah. And uh, it sounded like someone throwing screws on the roof. And I was like, wow, this is it. It's here. And I heard about it. I look. I saw it on the forecast, and I didn't believe it. But then, when, when they said on the news and they showed the radar, I was like, "Oh my god!" It looked like a. Um, I looked like uh, Jackson Pollock went crazy with the can of green paint on the radar, and I was like, "No!" So yeah, we've had terrible rain. Richard Pollock. Oh. Yeah, is he Richard Pollock, the famous um, guy that makes mule motorcycles? Yeah. Looks like he spun one of his flat trackers out in a gallon of green paint all over the radar <laughs> map. Um, yeah, it's it was it was crazy. Now, up by when I used to live super close to up here, um, the mountains would play really weird with the rain. It would either hold it here and you'd get more, or it would kind of blow it over because like the wind coming over it. So we, I, mean, I only live with what like ten minutes away from you, but it's still like it. We got some, we got drenched uh, for quite a bit, and it rained all last night, and then it came down pretty damn hard for a little bit this uh this afternoon and um all i could do was just go outside and cry mostly it's been a little chilly it was like fuck it was like 85 last week and now it's it can't make up its mind yeah now it's wet and um i almost said the word of the week um do you have that ratchet so i can hit this cat with it okay the rain was oh coming down like crazy and it was a bummer because this weekend I was trying to do um, – I didn't end up going riding this weekend. And so we do have a little report from the old uh, – what's it called? Um, the one-man junk sale that I was uh, talking about. Turns out the opinion of the person who was in attendance is that it wasn't all that. It actually was kind of small, which for Temecula, I would have thought things would have been a lot bigger. But there's probably other sales and swap meets and all that stuff that happens down there. Half the half of the motorcycling um, professionals that ride on dirt live in Temecula slash Murrieta. Like every dirt rider um, that rides supercross and motocross pretty much lives in Temecula. So I guarantee that there's some sort of um, sale or swap happening, but probably just not at this show. So anyway, there was also a classic cruise night and stuff down there. Our field producer, Bri Viffer, uh, went out and documented it via um, smartphone, camera, and a highly paid camera crew. And so we'll we'll have those up on our blog. Um, I think I'm going to sit down this weekend and try to write some stuff since it's supposed to be wet again this weekend. But yeah, I was trying to do some stuff. Um, speaking of Brian Viffer, trying to give the uh, the VFR a little makeover. Um, just watched Mad Max Fury, uh, Mad Max the original all the way up to Fury Road, and I thought, oh, his bike isn't furry enough or have enough arrows sticking in it uh so i kind of working on giving it a little makeover and i was trying to do some fiberglass work and uh here's my i i think i I try to video this too so here's my two cents um a when you're trying to make like a video of something have everything there and be prepared and that i did but b i and i always say this to other people and then this time I, i didn't do it to myself Make sure your supplies are like current and and not only correct for the job you're going to be doing, but also like laid out. So I had everything ready. I had everything laid out. I had everything there. But once I popped the can open of resin, 
and it looked disturbingly green, like Uncle John after he gets bit by a zombie, uh, you know, in every single zombie movie, and then he turns comes around the corner, and all of a sudden, he's twenty five shades of rotten tuna green. Um, that's how it came out once I started mixing it, and I made the foolish mistake of going, I wonder if I can spread this. That was my first and last mistake because I totally ruined all the prep work that I had done on this piece that I was trying to rip um, rip a mold from. I did salvage it a little bit because I, I just gave up and went to the store uh, later that day because um, that was the other thing. Press for time, right? So uh, I, I do have like three other people that like to hang out with me once in a while. I call them my family. I don't know what you guys want to call them. But um, yeah, I had to go and... Uh, to spend some quality family time together. And I thought this thing's already ruined. There's nothing you can do at this point. <laughs> and so, uh, I knew it didn't really matter when I went and got more supplies. So I went and picked up some fresh resin, threw down a bunch of really good molds, ripped a bunch of molds off some other pieces and was great. But the first, very first particular one that I started with happened to be sort of a complicated piece. That's why I kind of wanted to knock it out first. And it turned up being the crappiest, um, ever at least on the inside everything turned out great so here's the great thing about fiberglass if you've never done it before it really doesn't matter how the outside turns out for the most part as long as the inside turns out good because that's what you're going to be using as your mold and so i kind of can salvage this but it still is looks like a turd warmed over and so yeah um check your sub check your supplies. That's what I always say. Check your supplies. I did have all my supplies laid out. I had everything there and ready to go. So I wasn't like mixing up resin and then running over to grab something else and then running over to grab something else. I had everything ready, but the actual friggin' resin, um, wasn't, was old. And then to top that off, all this wetness and everything has been bumming me out. Oh, I thought that was a. Bu- I thought you were gonna pull out a bottle, a bucket of knives. Yeah. Did we drink that last time we were here? I don't know if we had this one or not. Yeah. I think we're gonna drink a little bit of whiskey, but um, but yeah. So the, on top of all this, like I said, I did rip some good molds, and now my garage smells like a resin factory. Um, any fifth grader would walk in there and be like, "Oh my god, did you open every single colored marker in class?" And no, that's resin, kid. Wait, you get older and work with fiberglass. You'll be in, you'll be in uh, heaven. So anyway, um, ripped off a bunch of really great molds from other pieces, and uh, turns out now with this wetness moving in and temperatures dropping, like I don't know, gel coat is going to be hard to cure. My gel coat was tacky for the longest time, and um, I was bummed out about it because it was like a little too tacky still. Like, it didn't start to cure for quite a while, and so I wasn't even sure if it was cured a couple days later when I started pulling the the molds off the bucks or off the forms, you know? Like, I was just like, man, this... It couldn't have gotten worse, is what I guess what I'm trying to say. But um, some garage projects, that's what I've been working on, given, uh, given the VFR a furry makeover. It's going to have some horns and, like, a, a cow skull on it and, like, a few actual working missiles probably on it. Thanks, Wigs. And then, um, you know, maybe a couple machine guns, and then like I'm gonna I'm gonna make a front wheel drive, kind of like the Rokons had or the Rockons, with like a spring loaded through the frame sort of thing. So it's gonna be pretty cool. All right, let's do the let's do something here. Let's take a little quick break. Go to Gary Canary on our uh, mobility scooter straight shooter up there in the sky. Uh, uh, Winnetonka. 
I don't know where the fuck he is. Uh, Gary Canary, can you hear us? Are you there? Gary. Junkies. Junkie. Junkie, it's Gary Canary here in Sky 600, the yellow chopper in the sky. We're over what appears to be a deserted East Los Angeles right now. We've been flying all over around the 605 over to the 110, down the uh, down the 5, all the way over to the 60, the 10, the 210. Looks like a goddamn zombie wasteland out there. Thank you, coronavirus, for clearing up all the traffic all the time. This is Gary. Whoa, wait a minute. Watch this. Oh my god! Hello! Hello! Junkie, we just shot a... what appears to be a Red Cross vehicle full of antivirus uh, antidote for... Oh my god, I think we just... we did a snafu, Junkie. We're out of here. Gary Canary out. Ryan, go! T from the Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast. Every Monday, I look forward to sitting around and listening to four or five assholes, three beautiful women, and possibly a special guest. If that sounds like something that's right up your alley, check out the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast coming to you every Monday from sunny Santa Cruz, California. Got a secret you need to hide? Oh my gosh, Dad, does Mom know you have a new motorcycle? I'm so going to go tell her. Try Brainwipe. Brainwipe is a specially formulated powder you slip into someone's drink and they will never remember a thing. No longer will you have your nagging wife asking you to spend more time with her on the weekends instead of out riding with the boys. Ladies, no more oopsie, I forgot to buy groceries this week because I bought bike parts instead. And definitely no more of this bullshit. Mom, I'm going to tell Dad to cut a new motorcycle if you don't let me ride it. That's right, get Brainwipe at your local grocer. Brainwipe, solving life's motorcycle problems one at a time. And now, Brainwipe for kids. Brainwipe! Who said that? Hey there, listeners. This is Patreon subscriber Nerissa coming to you from inside my helmet in the land of beer and cheese, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You're listening to the Creative Writing Podcast because you're obviously ridiculously good looking. All right, everybody. She was just saying that to make you guys feel a little bit better about yourselves. You are not good looking. Um, not as good looking as all the ladies up in Wisconsin. I can say that much right now. Every single person that's up there in Wisconsin, stunna. All right, enough, uh, enough pumping up Wisconsin. Um, listen, uh, do what everybody else is doing. Go to the Iron Horse Hotel. Go where you can. Go party and play while you're in Wisconsin. Um, I wanted to make a statement here about things being uh, just globally things being shut down from the NBA to the NHL to, to, uh, NHRA. Uh, you know, Wiggins and I were joking about it on this episode, but now it turns out shit has really hit the fan. And I'm going to do a little speech here about coronavirus because it was kind of put to me today, like in a, in a way that I had to rethink about it. Basically I'm with every, I, I hate the fact that this seems to have taken over every aspect of daily life, uh, and it's everyone's making a big deal out of it. There's a bunch of memes and a bunch of statistics 
of hey, you know, you're more like the, on the day the the largest death toll in China, which is 108 people dead, and the same day, like 26,000 people died of diabetes, 26,000 people died of heart disease, all this stuff, and I get that, and I'm with that. I'm pretty much uh, with. I'm sick of hearing about it, which is ironic that I'm talking about it right now. But damn it, like everything is getting canceled from racing. Uh, already uh, several races have been pushed back. Um, the MXGP, the six days, Tony Boo is, uh, has already sealed the championship because the, the trials, um, they are going to kind of like end, uh, Globe, the trials championships early or just kind of end them here. So Tony Boo has sealed the deal. Congrats. You don't have to do, there's, there's going to be a lot of stuff where there's like no last round, um, you know, it's not going to come down to the wire for a couple of races where the racing's been really close or the competition's been really close because um, trials isn't necessarily a race, but stuff like that. A lot of MXGPs getting pushed and canceled because the, a lot of them happen in Europe. And so the international six days, I'm guessing Red Bulls, Romaniacs, and it's not necessarily that that uh, the virus is spreading through Europe quickly, but here's here's what is happening. And here's SARS was like way deadlier the first time it came around because I, I did read something. I think you heard me and Wiggins talking about it earlier. This is another respiratory syndrome, and I read – somewhere that it was called SARS uh COV2 for coronavirus 2 which the initial SARS COVID-19s the disease that it produces blah 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 we all heard it we don't need to hear it anymore we've been hearing it day in and day out nonstop but here's what i guess is happening is that they want to quit um the travel from these places mostly because SARS, when it hit the first time in 2003 and four, was limited to a couple areas, right? And and so it didn't really spread. And not that this is necessarily dangerous, not that this is like more, you know, more deadly than the flu, the uh, or even the first SARS, which was like, I think, 10% death rate, and this is like 2% death rate, which means that either the first SARS didn't infect as many people, but it killed a lot more. I don't know. There's there's different ways to look at the data um, to make sense of it. And you can't just really take numbers and throw them out there because there's no context. So um, the shit, when I say the shit's hit the fan, it literally has come home. And when I say literally, I do mean literally. Um, my wife, I think I've mentioned before, is an educator. And a lot of online, a lot of schools are closing right now. A lot of people are going online and a lot of teachers are going to be possibly teaching from home, not little kids because little kids can't do that stuff. But here's what's going to happen. I'm not so much worried about people getting sick at this point and I'm not so much worried about things getting canceled. I understand that having large groups of people around is going to affect some things, right? And I, my wife was like, you're treating it like, like it's nothing. And for a little while, she was too. But she's like, look, it's not that it's something huge, but it is something that's just going to keep spreading if we don't all stay like put for a little bit. Because I'm like all against uh, uh, your – well, we won't make this a political podcast or a conspiracy podcast, but I am all against like large masses of people being like quarantined, right, and like martial law and all this crazy stuff. But – Look back to the 80s, Cabbage Patch Kids. Nobody told people that they had to stampede and kill people in stores for it. People are 
are, are doing that with this. They're, I was at the grocery store tonight. That's why this episode is just now uh, going to be coming out like last minute. Um, and I'm not even going to announce any real stuff that's going on event-wise because I don't know what's going to be happening. Um, everything, last Thursday I was at the store and it was great. I went tonight. And it was pure madness and I had to wait in line and like there's limits on stuff that you can buy. And, and I told my wife, she said, she said, do you think I'm acting crazy? And I said, no, I don't think you're acting crazy. And I said, and, and, or irrationally. And I'm trying not to be, I'm trying to look at this like, you know, I'm not going to be one of those guys that rushes the bank in 1929 because I'm afraid of the stock market crashing, which it did. I mean, it, it collapsed, but it partially collapsed because people rushed the banks. So I was like, I'm not going to go to the store and be crazy and stock up on all this stuff. So when I get to the store and people are stocking up on the stuff, I told her this. I said, I guess there's two ways to look at this. You can either be prepared or you can be a victim. So I guess I'm going to go out there and I went and spent like a couple hundred bucks on groceries. Didn't bother buying toilet paper. I'm just going to go out and squirt the garden hose on my ass, right? And bottled water, we don't need bottled water. I mean, I get, I would have bought Brita filters, you know? So people are buying up all this crazy supplies and then come two weeks from now or three weeks from whenever this shit blows over, they're going to have a whole garage full of fucking toilet paper and hand sanitizer and shit. And it's like, why didn't, I don't know. I just here to, I'm not going to keep going off on it, but it's just disturbing that it's hit everything. Like from, uh, you know, at first it was like MotoGP. Now it's like the MX GPs, uh, you know, enduro crosses everywhere. Now, uh, you know, you name it. Everything from the bug in that I was excited to go to here at Irwindale Speedway, which is right down the street from my house, is going to get pushed back. And um, I don't know. It's not an, inc- I mean, I can deal with the inconvenience, first world problems, complaining about something that's killed thousands of people in another country. You know, I feel you don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining and I'm not treating it like it's nothing because I know it's something. However, I think that all the panic and the hype and hysteria causes more hysteria and more mass panic. Nobody told you you needed to line up and buy beanie babies, you know, and break break car windows to get a beanie baby out of them. And beanie babies are virtually worthless now. They're barely worth the fur that they're stuffed. You know, they have polyfiber stuffing stuffed into or beans or whatever the hell they really are made of. Um, but at one point, Beanie Babies were like the next future thing. Oh, this could be $30,000, blah, blah. You know, Beanie Baby, you better buy a tag protector for your Beanie Baby, right? And people are getting, displaying them in their cars and people are smashing car windows to get some rare fucking toy out of somebody's car that was worth like six ninety nine. Was it worth the $300 windshield? You tell me. A couple people died in stampedes in the 80s over Cabbage Patch dolls. If you ever go back and watch Turbo Man or whatever the hell, Jingle All the Way, that's what it is with Arnold Schwarzenegger, that hysteria is true. And so, yeah, I've been seeing it. And there is hysteria and there is hype and there is a lot of mass stupidity. And I guess just to to put a a finer point on this, uh, my wife helped me, you know, look at it in a different way. And sometimes it takes uh, a really smart, beautiful woman to do that. Um, and she was like, yeah, it's not the fact that, uh, that you know, you act like a maniac or you go out and do all this crazy stuff. It's, the fact is that by not going out 
and spreading it, even if you're not sick. Because I'm pretty sure that we all had it. Her, uh, We have some family members that were in the Southern Hemisphere in January. And uh, on that side of the globe where it all broke out and had gone on probably a cruise and flown on planes and stuff like this with people that were the earliest exposers. And, and I'm sure we've been exposed to it already and we just haven't got tested. We probably had it, have it or something, you know, there's lots of people that probably have it and don't even know it because they're not going to get tested because they're not going to show symptoms because they're not susceptible. You're not 800 years old in a nursing home or you have a compromised immune system, but here's what's going to happen. Those people that don't get sick and don't get affected and got a lot of, a lot of hate for, Mama tried getting canceled and all these events getting canceled, but Mama tried because everybody was already in Milwaukee the night before, right? You can't, when the government shuts it down, it gets shut down, right? You can't really blame uh, people for wanting to stop it from spreading. And if you aren't somebody that's affected, this is why I have such a hard time with it. And, and I kind of had to like stop and like, see my wife's perspective and empathize is because I am not in the demographic that's going to get hurt by it. But if I have it or if I had it or even get exposed to it and get it on me and I don't get affected by it, like I'm, I could still spread it. So I get it. And I guess we're going to, if our kids get sent home from school, I guess we're all going to be sitting around together. But look at it like this. AIDS was around way before it became an epidemic. And I guess you could call it a pandemic too, but way before it became an epidemic and it tagged as like certain things, it was, it was already around way, way before that. A lot of, lot of vac, uh, deadly, super deadly things are out there and have come and gone because they affected tribes. And AIDS, there's monkeys, like uh, I think baboons are totally immune to it. And so they carry it. But then you kill some, you know, you kill a baboon and, and bushmeat was a real huge thing. And they think that like in the late 50s or early 60s, um, somebody that was, a, you know, a bushmeat hunter took it, took AIDS. Uh, Eat, ate some infected bush meat or sold some infected bush meat in town, you know, trying to make a dime even back in the, the 40s and 50s and 60s in, in uh, Africa when things were starting to boom and uh, went into town and sold some bush meat that they had also eaten and ingested the AIDS virus or, you know, maybe got a cut on their hand and was chopping up the monkey and got it. However, it jumped from semi, uh, ape to human um, or monkey to human and then, like, use that money to go get a hooker in town and have a good time and buy some beer and then go back to the village and get more bushmeat. So it it wasn't until – it probably existed and killed lots of people in, in villages, and they just didn't know. The witch doctor couldn't figure it out. But it was probably around way before it actually made the jump to popular society. So who knows how long this fucking coronavirus – they say, from what I've read, like, bats have it. Just like every fucking koala has chlamydia. Don't go kissing a koala and butt fucking a koala and think it is cute. Every koala has chlamydia. That's the dirty little secret of nature. Nature, just like every reptile pretty much has salmonella. And uh, yeah, that's not a nice thing to get. My buddy got salmonella from cleaning out his kid's lizard cage. So every nature is just a dirty thing, right? And so I guess... The, the thing that my wife made me see is that everybody's shutting down because they just want it to end and we could not shut down. And like I said, the healthy people can still pass it around and around and around and just it'll keep spreading. Or we can all shut down for a couple weeks, 
let it die off. And that's how they killed it in China. They quarantined the whole fucking country and it couldn't go anywhere. So that's why the rates are declining in China and popping up everywhere else. But now we're seeing soccer uh, all across Italy and, Eng- and England and the Europe, le- Europe leagues, I guess. I forget exactly what leagues I've been reading about. But there have been a couple coaches and players uh, and stuff like that popping up with it. I'm sure there's uh, motocross athletes and, and MXGP um, and international, like, uh, you know, like the works and duros and stuff like that. I'm sure there's people that live in Europe that have it, just don't know it because they're healthy. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so coming into the pits and spreading it, I get it. I guess I get it. I don't want to get it because it all sounds like a load of bullshit and it sounds like it's not very deadly, but it's going to be something that's not very deadly that keeps floating around. You know what I'm saying? I guess it's going to be like, uh, a, I don't know, herpes or something. Probably it doesn't kill a bajillion people, but you don't want to like spread it around amongst all your friends, right? Like, so I just think I get it. I understand. And she kind of made me see like, it's not a big deal, but it's uh, something that like is still serious. So I was like, all right, I, I will agree to disagree, but I see your point. And on that note, I'm just disappointed that so many goddamn things are getting canceled uh, that I was looking forward to. So, as you heard in my uh, earlier little show piece, I will just stick to working on bikes, I guess. I'm just going to stay in my garage. I don't mind drinking Coronas. I'll get that coronavirus all day. But I guess, you know, if it gets, if it keeps me from you know, going to a huge show. I, I, I really do hope Dia de los Motos still happens though. But, um, I mean, you know, I was at the women's moto show and all I got from that was a really bad case of syphilis. So, I mean, I'm good. <laughs> That's curable at right at this point. So pretty soon they'll have a virus for enough people or a virus. Uh, yep. They give us the virus pretty soon. I'm assuming they're going to have an antidote for it. They took them a while to make one for the first SARS coronavirus. So I'm guessing that they're going to be able to pull some remnants out of people, uh, that have this one. And I'm sure some people are going to get it and like test positive and not have it, but they will have the result. Like you'll see the ghosts that your body fought, fought it off and like, Oh yeah, look, there's the antibodies to it. Like you never showed symptoms. You never got it. Like technically got COVID-19 or whatever the virus, uh, manifests into, but look, you have like little ghosts here in your D- in your DNA or RNA or however that shit works that your body fought it off. So you did have it. You just didn't ever notice it. It never got big enough. So we're, we got enough of these things and now we can make a, a, a virus. And then the next fucking thing will come along. So it's just going to be, you know, I think that the fact that these other ones didn't get so out of hand is is because just like AIDS, they probably died out in the little communities and villages or segregated air, like air. I don't remember SARS having quarantines and stuff like that. I do remember people talking about it and it was like a little bit of a concern, but I just don't remember it getting to be like this where people in so many countries are like fighting over supplies and doing basically like a bank rush. And I told my wife, I'd really like to keep it like Britain during World War II keep calm and carry on. They're getting bombed all the time for fuck's sake. I mean, living in you, the modern Ukraine in the, in the last decade, these people have been living, you know, st- standing in bread lines, having to hide in each other's basements while, you know, stuff gets fought over between the Ukraine and Russia and Syria and Turkey and everything else in that region. And it's like, 
people survive and that's fucking war. So this is, I don't know, this is just a viral war. You got to remember the virus is alive if it's a virus and not a bacteria, right? So I guess even bacteria are alive, but it's alive. And to some degree, if you're that person that doesn't take precautions, you're sort of like the guy or girl in the alien movies. Mostly it's guys in alien movies. It's like, yay, man, like, let's keep partying. What are these aliens going to do? And then they vaporize you, and you're like, oh, shit. Like, you're the first person to die in the movie. So even if you're not in the age group that's, you know, susceptible to this, remember, you probably do have a grandma or a grandpa that you're going to want to visit. And uh, if this stuff is keeps spreading around, they're not going to bring you those bitchin' Christmas presents or uh, Hanukkah presents or... Kwanzaa or Festivus or whatever the fuck people celebrate. Um, you gotta look, you gotta look down the road, I guess. And so I want this thing to end ASAP. I don't want the shit to still be going on in the summertime when we're, when we should be right in the full swing of riding season or bike rallies, racing season and uh, like global, uh, motocross, you know what I'm saying? Like, the off-road world is going to suffer. Businesses are going to... That's my biggest concern is that like people are going to quit going out. Businesses are going to flop, and that's going to be an immediate thing that's going to happen. And I'm kind of scared about that. That's why I was telling my wife, like, we should go out to eat. We should go out. We should do something in our community. And she's like, listen, absolutely not. Like... It's kind of like uh, you know doing something stupid and risky for just because you 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 know just because you're not in that group, you know. But at the same time, like that's the worst time to go out. And I'm like, man, that's the best time. There's gonna be nobody out. So I don't know. There's two sides to this coin, and uh, neither one is better than the other, except for the fact that I hope this shit all blows over fucking soon because I'm getting really fed up with it. Um, and now I guess Wiggins and I tried to talk about camshafts, um, on this week's show. I did a very poor job. Wiggins has never researched stuff. So it was hard trying to be at his house while he's making knives. And we had talked and we stopped and took a break and talked to his wife for a little bit and got back into it. We didn't mention hardly anything fucking useful, but I'm still going to throw this here in at the end of the show. So if you've listened this far, yay, hooray. I hope you have a great weekend. Go do something on two wheels. I'm going to get out. I think it's supposed to be like totally pouring rain this weekend. It has been pouring all week and i think rain was the word of the week and even though i'm recording this nine days later than me and wiggins did i think i still owe you this whoops uh, i guess there's no sound effect yeah well anyways we'll shoot a cat on next week's episode for me saying the word of the week this this week but it's supposed to be totally wet and um my kids soccer season has spring cup started up um and as you know every single sporting event uh, that involves being around another person. So the only thing you can do is play virtually. Um, but yeah, soccer got canceled. So I guess I don't have to ref anymore now. Yay. And uh, I guess no more practices was, we were going to have to cancel, um, podcasting cause no more practices, but now we're probably going to have to cancel podcasting because I'm not allowed to go talk to anybody, um, or go to any events with more than like a hundred people at them. So, or 20 people. Uh, so anyway, yeah. We'll see how this shit all happens and blows over. In the, in the meantime, there's always stuff motorcycle-related to talk about. We will bring you the moto scans. Uh, excuse me. I will keep you – oh, my God. Coronavirus. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we will keep you updated on the bike builds as they go. Um, 
and I will keep you informed uh, as best I can on stuff that's coming up. Um, stuff that is a p- positive here, that is a positive, is if MotoGP does uh, start up again, um, Jorge Lorenzo, if you're a patron, you already know this, but Jorge Lorenzo, he's going to come back out of retirement and race the Catalonia GP. Uh, since there's no more Pikes Peak happening here in the States either, so technically no more TTs here or PPs, if you want to call them that. Uh, Rennie Skaysbrook, last year, the very last motorcycle winner of the Pikes Peak, is going to be going over to the Isle of Man. I assume the Isle of Man is still going to go on. They're an island. Nobody should have it over there. If it goes over there, we know some dirty coughing mouth from another part of Europe went over there to race and took it. So it can't, you know, fingers crossed, guys. Come on. And and hopefully shit has blown over by then. Just stay inside for like two or three weeks. Uh, spend your spring break inside with the one you love. And if that's your motorcycle, so be it. Or outdoors alone, uh, riding single track. That's how I want to spend a lot of my days coming up here. So, um, yeah, so all this great stuff hopefully happens in the summertime. Hopefully we have more news and and everything else is just can't has been canceled. So if you want to know what's coming up, nothing. If you do have something like a local ride or a small ride that's coming up and you want to promote it, please get with us. If you have a shop class, like I really hope the guys at Noble Moto uh, still are doing their stuff. I mean, that's less than 250 people. Um, I, I, I don't think you should be turt be a turd. I don't think you should be deterred from spending quality time with people uh, doing things that you love, um, with people you love and and the things that you love, right? But I guess err on the side of caution is the best way that I could put this um, and so that the shit can just get done with and we can get back to the good old days of motorcycling. And that includes AMA Vintage Days and all that other shit that better be happening uh, by this summer. So you all be good. Wash your hands. Stay away from every, every other people. And uh, maybe by summertime, this will all be a shitty memory. Um, and by the way, buy stocks now. They're going down the tubes and you can get them for cheap. And then when they go back up, millionaire. All right. Junkie told you stock tip. There you go. My, it's my fiduciary duty uh, to, to tune you into the stock markets with Junkie Turdman 101. Um, and with that, let's just dump the cam section in here. I don't think we talked about gear-driven cams versus chain-driven cams. I don't think we even got to shit because Wiggins has a good way of sidelining me. Um, kind of taking the conversation to nascar so hopefully we don't take it to nascar i can't remember i'm not even gonna look at this and try to figure it out this it's literally a shit fuck circus That's about how I felt about this uh, whole cam thing going down. So we're just going to get right into it. I'm going to pump it in here and just leave the show with that. Um, in the meantime, go check out Wigs on Field Initiative Knives uh, on Instagram. Field underscore initiative underscore knives. Buy a knife. If it's not legal, don't carry it on you at any times when you come to California this summer for Born Free um, or to uh, any event, any ride, especially if it's something to have fun. Um, so make sure you know your no- local life li- life laws. Um, know your local knife laws and fuck the coronavirus. And with that, let's get on to the rest of the show. I'm Junkie Turdman, your host and um, part-time lover. Bye.
to digress. We've totally we've totally gone off the charts. To get back to camshafts here, <laughs> um, we're we're digging into the motor now, and we're digging into the heads, and we're digging into camshafts. Camshafts going back to the heads of the day, and how do guys even figure this stuff out? A lot of them were pretty cut dang simple. Um, what wasn't? I mean, even though there weren't a lot of two strokes back in the day, um, four strokes the side valve kind of had it, and there and there was like inlet over exhaust. I think the FN. Um, might have been the first one within that over exhaust too. And not only that, the first one they have a four cylinder bike. So, um, they were, they did a lot of firsts and with the, with them, a lot of the side valve stuff was popular and the KR, I really want a KR 750. I, when I was reading about the origins of Daytona and Harley Davidson doing road racing back in the day, a lot of people don't realize that Harley Davidson Wiggins and I talk a lot of flat track and how cool it is. We talk a lot about our buddies that race Dinas, but what people don't realize is that back in the day of the Daytona 200, it got its start as, um, a lot of people race racing flat track also road race. Cause that's how you got your national championship was you raced flat track and road race and a TT, uh, up until like the eighties. And so way back in the day, it was still a prestigious thing. And you would take your same bike that you raced on the beach and race it on the Daytona 200 track. And this KR750 was Harley's deal, and it was a side valve. Um, and so it was probably a flat head, I'm guessing. And so we, we kind of got into heads last week and what they do. They house the valves, They unless you have a two-stroke. They house the valves. Um, they get the fuel in and out of the motor. They also hold a bunch of stuff. They hold the spark plugs. They hold the, obviously the valves. Um, and in some cases they hold the camshafts. Now I've only owned a couple vehicles that have cams that aren't overhead cams. I've owned, I had a Coronet, uh, Dodge Coronet 60, was mine a 63 or 65? I think it was a 63, um, Coronet. And it had a 440 that I dropped in it from a freaking Dodge Charger. And that thing did not have an overhead cam. So it had a cam that rode underneath, you know, uh, in the middle of the motor and had push rods that went out to the heads. And also my um, Volkswagens. I had three Volkswagens and I raced those. And those things, same thing. They had a cam in the center of the motor and their boxer twins are basically like VW R1200s, only they were a Volkswagen R1600. Um, and they had four pistons, so it was like a boxer four. And they had push rods too. And those are the only two motors I've ever owned that had push rods, but they all have cams. And so if you have overhead cams or you don't have overhead cams, um, you're still you, your bike still has camshafts. I can't think of any bike except for two strokes that doesn't have a camshaft except for the RE5. Um, and Norton had a rotary, right? Suzuki had the RE5. Norton had some freaking rotary that Wiggins and I talked about. Norton, Norton and didn't someone else do a rotary that was weird? Well, the RE5, I can't think yeah, of. Yeah, no, but I mean, like a weird. Like an Adam, an Ariel, or someone, but it wasn't. I, yeah, I can't remember. Like motorcycle related, but the thing is, is that like uh, those are Wankel rotary engines, and rotary engines don't even technically have pistons. They have like a what do they call the? God, we did a whole fucking engine challenge on these. I should know. It's called a rotor, isn't it? Yeah, I guess you know it's a tri- it's a triangular shaped rotor. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's very there's like two types of engines that don't have cams. Um, now cam is basically if you take a hard-boiled egg um, and you were to um, 
take your egg and cut it and cut the one side off, uh, you know, cut like a half inch off of each side or an inch off of each side. What you're left with is the middle of the egg, which is, uh, fat at the bottom, skinny at the top. And, um, since you cut the ends off, it's like, you know, let's say it's one inch thick and it just looks like an egg that's been cut. Um, so that's a cam. Take a, take a metal egg, do the same thing to it. You know, cut it. It's a, a cam is basically an egg-shaped deal. It doesn't always have to be egg-shaped, it's, but, it, but it's a ramp, basically. It's some sort of ramp that uh, has a gradual buildup and then drops off. And the degree to which they drop off or the sharpness um, is the profile of the cam. So some cams have a sharp profile, and that can actually, like, slam your valve shut it sounds pretty bitching when you have like a sharper profile cam but it's not always good for the for the valves and it's not always good for the springs and all that great stuff so it just depends on how aggro you go because you can upgrade your valves and springs too and just like your exhaust if you're going to redo your exhaust you're going to have to rejet your carbs or you're going to have to remap your ecu and then you do your intake same sort of thing you're going to have to rejet remap whatever it is your cam, same sort of thing. It's going to affect a lot of things. And what cams do is they uh, actuate the valves. So whether you don't have overhead cams or you do, it's all the same. Their valve, the the basically f- function of a cam is to actuate your valve and uh, pushes uh, pushes it open. And sometimes you have a two valve head. And so on Spamila, let's take Spamila for instance. Spamila has an overhead cam, a Hemi. Spamela has a Hemi, but you didn't know that. Um, so yeah, she has a Hemi head, which is just a hemispherical shaped head, and we kind of kind of covered that last week. Um, and then her cam is just a two lobe cam. So two lobes just means that it's got two little eggs on the cam shaft. So a cam is just the egg part, and the fact that they ride on the shaft. Now you got a cam shaft. Um, if you have a Ducati. Those had like two valves, right? Some of them have four valves. Some of the newer ones have four valves. But anything with the two valve, you're basically going to have one cam lobe per valve. Um, so if you got like a four valve head or like a three valve or even a five valve, um, let's say you have like two intakes and three exhausts, you're going to have two lobes that open the intake cams and then three that open the exhaust cam. And so what, what a lobe does is it pushes down on top of a valve and a valve is held in place with a spring. And so the cam pushes that valve open. And that's the top of the egg, the skinny part of the egg. The fat part of the egg then wraps around and doesn't touch the cam. And then when it gets back to the tall part, which is the you know, the tapered part of the egg, the skinny part, it hits the cam again. Um, whether you have an overhead, I'm sorry, it hits the cam again. It hits the valve, the top of the valve. And that's for overhead cam. How this works in under head cams, for lack of a better term, sometimes you have a cam riding off the um, the crank or sometimes you'll have it riding off a gear that's, you know, riding off the crank or some somehow it's actuated. Uh, it's, spin, it's spinning down there underneath the down with the rest of the internals of the engine down below. So you have push rods going up to the heads. And in that case, if you're, if you don't have overhead cams, you have two things, you have push rods and you have rocker arms. And, um, actually Spamla has a, excuse me, Spamla still, even though she's an overhead cam, she still has a rocker arm. And so we'll, we'll tell you all about that. So the, um, so the cam spinning in that situation 
is spinning. And instead of pushing the valve, like in the old days, the side valves, the cam was like on the outside of the motor and it would push the valve. The valve was literally like a, a long push rod and it would just push the valve up and down on the side valve. Um, and then the same thing for the intake valve. Some of them actuated the same way. They'd be on different sides of the motor. But in a regular motor, like Wiggins can probably tell you on a Harley, each cam is on a different gear. So they're not on a cam shaft. They're like each cam has a gear and they ride in like a sequence because on a V-twin, you got like four. If you hold your hands up and make make a fist, put your pinkies together and then hold up your index and middle fingers that's how the push rods look on a v-twin so you can imagine that a shaft wouldn't work very well um so they have like four or five gears like in a row across there to actuate each uh each push rod gets its own uh cam gear and then there's like a whole bunch of little intermediate gears underneath there that controls like timing and all that stuff so basically what i'm getting at is that like a camshaft just basically it's its job is to open the valves. The exciting thing about camshafts, no matter how they are actuated, whether it's via push rod or overhead cams that literally themselves, the cam lobe pushes on the valve, um, is that there's some crazy technology that has come in. Uh, I can't even tell you how it works. Like VTEC, my buddy used to have a VTEC Civic, and there's VVI, which is variable valve ignition timing, VVIT, and then there's VTEC, which is ver- valve timing electronic control or something like that. And so it's electronically controlled when you hit those higher revs that the valve, the the cam profile changes. Because here's the thing about a cam. If you ever heard a hot rod driving down the street and it's lumpy, like that, you know, it's kind of like the potato, potato, but of a V8. Um, once that thing gets up to speed, it's those, those the cam profile decides how close the um if you you have a stick which is your cam shaft and then you have those cam lobes and how close they are to each other like you let's say you do have a bunch of eggs that you cut up and you slide them all down the stick well if you have them perfectly uh 45 degrees or 90 degrees apart from each other yay that's going to give you a certain opening but you can also vary that so like maybe they're only 60 degrees apart maybe they're only like you know 45 degrees apart from each other the more the closer you turn them the faster they're going to hit your valves open so the less time the more time your combustion chamber is going to be closed or the more time it's going to be open depending on how you have it configured really changes the performance of your engine so you can have an engine with like damn near no torque until you get the revs way up or you can have an engine with a lot of torque at the bottom and it's all uh based on your cam profile um and then, like, for Harleys, I'm guessing, like, the gears down below, you know how the, like, the Sportsters have that, like, cam pack, like, that little cam, like, set Four there? Four cam bastards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a bunch <laughs> of little intermediate gears. I'm guessing by changing some of those gears, you can change this or that. Uh, but um, you, also you could use- slot the main gear and change the timing, which is one thing my dad hates about Sportsters. No one does that. Even like my SNS cams, it's not adjustable to adjust the cam timing. And he's like, it just needs to be slotted a little bit. So you got to adjust that timing. But, um, yeah, changing the gears. I mean, the gears have to be a certain ratio because they have to stay in line with the pistons. Right. Good point. When you, if your cam is off or you've installed your cam wrong, it's going to hold your valve open as your piston comes up, and then your piston is going to hit your valve, and yeah. that's going to be and bad most news. most modern motors are interference fit. Yeah. 
And uh, that that basically means like a dumb dummy proof way of like not being able to, yeah. to do that. I did that once on it's my. It's still not totally dummy proof, but Sportster cams are pretty easy because you've got a bunch of dots, and as long as the dots line up, you're good. Mm-hmm. But and so also the Stella no longer cares about Stella us. Stella no longer cares about us because your wife's home. Um, so yeah, when you have like put a push rod and you have rockers, um, no longer because the push rods are going up. Your valves have to go down. So how does that happen? Via rocker arms. And so there's all sorts of stuff that you can change um, via the cam profile. And you got to be careful because all these moving parts have to add up to still let air come in, still let air get out, still make the perfect back pressure and all that great stuff and still give you the best um, performance. You can overlap your valves too. A lot of times this is... um, when you start getting into performance stuff and you list, you talk about valve lift and valve duration, those are two different things that rely on the camshaft. And that's why camshafts are so important. I want to talk about them. You, you change your cam profile to be um, peakier which and taller than your stock cam. So your little eggs, the shape of your eggs, you can make your eggs taller. And what that'll do is that'll lift your valve open further. Um, and it increases your valve lift, or you can kind of flatten out the top of it and it'll keep it open longer. So you're, instead of looking like an egg, now it's kind of looking like a squarish egg or an oblong egg, or maybe like a oval egg. And what it does is the cam profile, the more of a peak it is, the more it's going to push your valve open and drop it shut. Cause the, 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 uh, the sharper the, the tip, the more the valve is just going to open and shut along that peak. So if you kind of like make them oval instead of like an egg shape, um, it's going to keep your valve open for longer, right? And so, but the thing is, like Wiggins said, you can't you can't time that wrong with the piston, or else the piston is going to come up and smash a piece of your valve out, and that's not that's not good. And that's camshafts in a nutshell. Camshaft, you know what's rad that they're working on, or I'm sure some places are doing probably formula one is the electric solenoids yeah i, I was gonna bring those up i don't even know where we left off because uh Wigan's wife <laughs> you guys home. don't know this we took a small break we took a little bit of a break and we've been talking for about half an hour but it's i mean um i'm surprised there's never been like an air hydro i mean there's hydraulic lifters um but all that yeah. kind of does is is control your clearances it doesn't really um lift the valve so yeah no the, the electric the, thing is is really rad because it's not, I think for a long time, the electric solenoid was on and off and obviously, or I'm guessing what they're doing now is they're able to control how fast it comes down, how long it stays there and how fast it comes back up. But for which, which one? I, I don't even know who, but there's people, people, people are working Those on, peeps. instead of cams, in valve springs, oh, it's an electric solenoid you. to open your valve and close oh, your valve. I got you, I got so you. So the rad part is with, you know, I mean, now think of the, the programming you can do with electronic ignition and fuel injection, right? So now they're adding another level to that. You could actually basically change your cam profile, Yeah, you know, by the click of a button I by, by ask, a computer do you program. Know how VTech worked? I cannot think of how that worked, but so there's different the car and the bike was different. Okay. So with the electric solenoid, what's rad is you could basically have your bike run like a Prius, right? And then you could put it in a different mode. You could make it electric. 
uh, half, you could do it half electric. <laughs> yeah. So you could make it, you know, all fuel efficient and quiet and mild and whatever. And then by putting a tune on it and flipping a switch, you could have it run like a raped ape essentially. Yeah. Like so far you can't change compression, but you could change your, basically your duration in your yeah. lift that a cam had. And now you could change it on the fly by hitting a button. Yeah. So it's not totally out yet. And right. You know, you with know, electric and stuff, who you knows, will but, be able to change compression. I'm pretty sure if electric doesn't take over the world and I, and I hope that they go to a fuel cell too, like hydrogen because electric isn't that clean as I've seen. Yeah. Now. Electric's not but as amazing as we think. The infinity motor that came out last year in 2017, maybe it, the way that it works on the, the crankshaft works, it like pivots and it makes it a stroker. So you, you oh, do I increase the compression. About yeah, that. yeah. The yeah, infinity yeah, yeah. turbo X turbo well, or something like that. Nissan has a variable compression ratio engine. Yeah. That's the infinity, uh, turbo one. Oh yeah. Infinity Nissan's yeah. the same in it. Yeah. <laughs> Duh. Um, Actually the one I looked at, I don't think it was that fancy. I believe it was basically a blow off valve that changed. Oh, crazy. So you could basically adjust your boost by when the blow off valve would blow off. Right. I think I looked at Nissan's before I got my Forester for about 10 minutes. Yeah. They, so they have variable, um, the Saab, do you remember that Saab back in the day, the five cylinder that used to, it had a hinge that changed the compression, uh, profile so that it did actually expand the combustion chamber to lower the compression. But the 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 way the infinity works is so cool. Somebody sent me a video yeah, of it. It's like a the rod is mounted off of the center of yeah, the crank, right? Yeah. And then it's connected to another rod on the other side yeah. that can move somehow. And it's act- when it actuates, it changes the way that the stroke yeah. works. Yeah. It like lengthens the stroke. It's like put the stroke of the crank on a lobe. Yeah. It's yeah. Crazy. That's yeah, exactly yeah. what it's like. Um, yeah, it's like this weird like hinge mm-hmm. thing that adjusts the height of the crank rather right, than right. Uh, the anything else. So and and famously, so you can we can adjust combustion where we maybe we'll be able to. In bikes, that might be a little harder to figure out since there's not that much space in the the engine. But uh, what the Suzuki came up with like two years ago, I think, was the 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 cam. You could change the cam profile, and it worked on these ramp this ramp system that was in the. Uh, sprocket that tr- that um, moves the cam. So this is overhead cams getting away from the, the push rods. Overhead cams run on a little sprocket that usually comes up from the crankshaft because that crankshaft is a you know spins at a certain degrees, and so your cams have to uh, open and close the valves depending on where the piston's at, right? So the way that this worked is that you could slightly vary it, and you can slightly hold them open a little bit longer or close them a little earlier, or however you want to do it. Um, but not very much because your piston will come up and hit your open valve and break it or bend a valve. Um, and that's how that happens if your valve sticks open or something like that is the piston comes up and whaps it. Um, and so the way that the Suzuki one worked is inside this little gear that the camshaft is mounted to that was spinning off the chain from the crank, there were ball bearings. So the cam could kind of rotate just minutely. Once you got to a certain speed, it would force the balls out through centripetal force and they would um, push these little, the, the ramp would get activated because as the ball bearing slid out, it would rotate the cam just a little bit. And so it would, could kind of like advance your timing as your um, motor revved higher. It could change your cam profile to be better at high revs because you're, the thing about engines is they're either good at low RPM or high RPM. 
not both, but this is how you change that is via the cam or the compression. Now, what what BMW has done with the R1200GS, so for in the past couple of years as well, they have a solenoid. And you know what? If you guys know what a shift cam looks like, whenever you're shifting through the gears first, you know, first through seventeenth, however many gears motorcycles have nowadays, um, the the lever that you're pushing is rotating a cam. And the cam has like a bunch of little squiggles. It looks like it looks like termites got a hold of a log. Basically, there's just a bunch of little pathways going around this drum, um, the circular drum. And what happens is the shift forks ride through these pathways. So as you click first, the little shift forks move over, and maybe there's like usually two or three. And the shift forks might slide and like, hey, this engages first gear. When you shift it um, and you turn the drum, it makes the little forks that are riding in it move and now they they shift second gear and push it over to engage your dog rings and that moves you to the second gear you do it again and the drum rotates and it moves the little shift forks back over and it slides third gear over so on and so forth well what BMW has done is taken that very same technology and since BMWs are boxer twins they're technically quote overhead cams but they're really out outer head cams cuz they're not over the head the heads are perpendicular to the ground and so your cams are out there spinning around uh you know uh they're not technically overhead they're next to the next to the head cams but they they do the same thing as an overhead valve just if the engine fell over on its side and to actuate those their cams now have two profiles and like i was telling you a cam is is just the egg shape and whether it's on a shaft or just on its own on a gear is dependent on your motor. So that what BMW has done is theirs rides on a little shaft, a little tiny shaft, um, and they've put one egg next to the other. And the two eggs are different shapes. Just like I was saying earlier, you can have really peaky eggs or eggs that are more like ovals rather than eggs. And they can be taller and shorter, which makes your valve open further or if it's taller and open not quite as far if it's shorter. And you can vary the um, degrees that they open too. So what what BMW has done is their intake cam now instead of just it's a two valve motor or a four valve motor. So instead of just two eggs pushing on the top of the valves opening them, now there's four eggs on the shaft, and they use a little actuator like Wiggins was saying, except for the instead of very varying the what did you say the actuators varied the timing the electric. Yeah, how did those? You, you could do any of it. Yeah, that's the thing. They could open whenever, at oh, whatever, right, right. at whatever rate, they, and the, then stay there. They were actually like electric, yeah, like rockers for a better. Term. Yeah, it's like a little electric uh, like actuator on the yeah. actual valve. Yeah, so there's no cam, and it literally just right. would push it, so it could open at any so time. So BMW has like a little stepper motor, and the camshaft has a drum. It looks like a shift drum now. It looks like all wiggly on one end, where a little fork rides in. And when you do your cam, now it's all computer controlled, and this is why ECUs are so important because you could never do this like on the fly. It takes the engine telling the you know the crankshaft telling the sensor that I'm at this point, telling the cam sensor that the cam is at this point, and it has to work in the blink of an eye because when engines are going twelve thousand RPMs, you know, and the cam is shifting back and forth between like eight thousand and nine thousand RPMs, that's nine thousand rotations per minute folks so that's a lot of that's very fast that this is happening it's happening in like literally less than the blink of an eye but this little actuator will shift and just like your shift fork and the shift drum works down on your foot every time you move that pedal the shift lever or i 
I, or shift pedal, whatever you want to call it. Um, I usually say lever for hand stuff and pedal for feet stuff, but the shift lever, you move it and it, and it moves the drum, which has like a bunch of squiggly lines that the forks right in. Well, now in the head of the BMW, there's a little electric actuator that has a little, um, fork on the top of it. It's not necessarily a fork. It's just like a little pin and the pin rides around and it shifts that cam. So the cam is free floating. It can go back and forth, slide back and forth in the head. And normally you don't want that because if the if the egg were to slide and not be on your valve anymore, now your valve's not nothing's pushing your valve open or closed. So that could be dangerous. So this thing, the the egg, the tall egg is next to the short egg. And and the blink of an eye, that little actuator turns and it and the pin that's on top of it moves inside the little groove that's on the camshaft, just like a shift fork works. And it switches the camshaft over now. And now the camshaft goes from one cam profile to the next. So it works really good and torquey because people want these um, R1250 GSs to be really torquey and have a lot of power down in the dirt, but also be able to cruise on the highway and not be like, you know, sputtering and blowing up because they're like, you know, revving too high because the cam can only have one profile. So now you have two cam profiles. And so that's one way it's working. The other way is the Suzuki GSXR way, which is where the ball bearings are on ramps inside. And that for that one, you kind of have to see it because it kind of doesn't make sense. But once you see that the valve can kind of rock or not the valve, the camshaft can kind of rock back and forth um, under high pressure, you see that it takes a lot of centrifugal force or centripetal force to push these balls out. So it's not just that it's going to like miss or like open up on its own. These balls have to travel outward. And as they travel outward, it's kind of pushing the cam into its different profile. So different ways to do different things. That way it's a static cam, but it gets its uh, durations and stuff gets altered by the way the ball bearings push it out and kind of like twist the cam back just a little bit and advance it or retard it. And on the BMW, you actually have two different cams on one shaft and they get actuated by this little gear thing. So that's cam shafts in a nutshell. I know we kind of like one, two, skip a few got to the end there because we kind of forgot where we were. And I know, uh, so VTech, I'm not 100% sure. And it was different in bikes and cars. The cars, I believe, changed the cam timing. Okay. And it was oil pressure activated. And the bike is also oil pressure. And I believe what the VFRs were was it was a two valve motor until you hit a certain RPM and oil pressure engaged a pin and then it became, that's right. Then it turned another lobe and became a four valve. That's right. Those were activated by mechanical pressure. Right. And now you're getting like twice the air because more valves are yeah, opening. Yeah, yeah. And they actually, the I and think that's how the they kept it from having dummy valves and, and all the pressure going out. Because right, otherwise, right. if you had four valves opening but only air coming in, <laughs> I mean, you're going to be losing yeah, all that. Yeah, and well, if you think too, gas. like General Motors and I believe Dodge, they do a lot of the V8 four cylinder shit. So they just don't fire. I don't know if they stop turning the cams or what all they do, but you still have these other four cylinders moving, taking all that you know, mechanical power away, but just not firing and using yeah. fuel. So it's yeah. a weird, that to me is a weird one. Um, yeah. Your, your, your motor is basically just a big air pump basically is all yeah. it is. And you just throw some fuel in there to get the bangs happening to push the cylinders down. Yeah. 
And so that is a unique thing. They can turn them off. I know they can. I know. I don't think they can bust. I don't, or either that or, and the injectors turn off. That's the thing about having electronics. You can't really do this stuff on a carbureted bike oh, yeah, per yeah. se because the, the you need. You this. could essentially do like the the way Honda does VTEC. You could do that on a carb bike. Yeah, you if, could do that. If you could get the tuning right for on and off, right? Because how? Because if you're squirting the same amount of fuel, like yeah, it would might all, totally. It, it would carb, run super rich and then yeah, super lean. Or the whatever. carb would have to have like Venturi, mm-hmm. some sort of advanced thing on it, which you can do. I mean, there's c- several ways to overcome carb issues as well. But that's like what we were saying earlier. You change your exhaust and your intake. You got to well, rejet your bike, and and so if you change your cam, it's the same. And to me, thing. like you know, earlier we talked about how some of the stuff they were doing in the fifties and sixties and even before, you know, to us, it seems archaic, but it's because of those advances that have led us to these advances. Yeah. You know, smoky unit covering the bottom of a stock car with aluminum, making it flat did so much for aerodynamics that it wasn't, you know, yeah, that was nothing like what formula one does now. However, the bottom of formula one car is still aerodynamic. Yeah. And, it was that kind of stuff that made them go, oh, aerodynamics is really important. Because at the time, they didn't think it was as important as it is. You know, so it's, you're building on those things. And, and like it or not, you know, we're, you know, we build on what they did, you know, what Harleys and Indians and, yeah. and Excelsors and stuff were doing in 1910. Right. We're building on that today. And if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't be where we were today. Right. So it's, it's cool to see those advances, whether it's stuff like VTech working mechanical or things now working with electronics. It I, is really neat. You know, the early fuel injection was a mechanical fuel injection. And now yeah. we use electronic and we think, oh, it's so great. But it was the mechanical side that made us go, Oh wait a minute! This fuel injection stuff has a thing, and as the technology and the control with the electronics came along, we were able to incorporate the two together. Yeah, and just like with the heads, like when we were talking to Brady last week, it's like who? uh, If it wasn't for racing, people wouldn't have sat down to figure out how this stuff works and try to start making stuff work Mm -hmm. better. And guys like Burt Monroe took his Indian and started making parts out of other parts that he had in the garage, like making parts from scratch. Um, the guy you were talking about that would like cast stuff out of his own, you know, and John Britton and stuff who had to figure yeah. this stuff out. But the original, the OG guys back in the twenties and stuff that started experimenting with this stuff and seeing what worked and what didn't led to and opened the way through competition to this whole, what we have today. And even I know there's small advancements and and we still use camshafts, but we're trying to change the way they work. So it's like all these things have been around and have have remained unchanged for a long time. And now we're just, I I feel like petrol is on the way out and and like electric and fuel cell hydrogen stuff is going to be coming in right when we're figuring out how to like best make it work. You know what I'm saying? Well, and I I feel like it's stuck around this long for a few reasons. One, (laughs) it it does work well. Yeah, for sure. Two, there's a you know, it is easy and we understand it to a point and we've, we've been able to keep improving. If, if the gasoline engine stopped improving in the forties or fifties, we would have came along with something better sooner. And, you know, we've talked about it. Both of our views are the same that we don't think electric is as clean as Tesla would like you to believe by their zero emissions license plates. Yeah. Um, and their ooh no, gas well, I license believe plates. the cars like, are, but, but the manufacturing but process But it's getting is, to that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. You can't look at the final product 
and say, Ooh, that's such yeah. a clean fuel efficient vehicle. If the f- carbon footprint to make that vehicle <laughs> right. was, was bad. I mean, there, there's yeah. a lot of steps to go into it. And the fact is when we talk about emissions, we have to look at the whole picture. Right. And it's um, not just cars, it's cell phones and laptops oh, it's everything. and everything. Yeah. There's, there's definitely so many levels yeah. and stuff to it like and that. And to speak and, to that point, like you haven't operated CNCs before. I knew a guy that, um, in San Diego that made camshafts for a living and sold them. Um, S- send, was, uh, send my dad his name. Yeah. He told me last week he couldn't find any camshafts like he wanted. Oh, really? To do, uh, to change firing Dude, or something. His and name I go, is, yeah, you can. His name's Dan Crower. You just can't do it for free. <laughs> yeah. He's a maniac. He would, he would sometimes have a, what we had tonight, a tumbler of whiskey and decided he was going to do something revolutionary and he'd go grind it out. And we were talking about, so the cars shop. that, um, I grew up racing that, um, my dad still wrenches on some guy's stuff. Uh, we were talking about how the R1, cause so all the sport bike cranks are a flat plane. It was that they changed the firing orders, what kind of change the R1 and it, and made it a little torquier, made it easier For to ride, made it yeah, whatever. Right. Yeah. But the cranks have always been, the pins have always been 90 degrees apart. Mm. on the inline four sport bike cranks. It's like the Ferrari and the GT 350. Like they're a little more fragile, but they make a lot better power than the, like the standard um, V8s, the American V8s. I believe those might be, you know, they're different degrees apart, but like the Ford GT 350 Mustang, they went flat plane. They're 180 degree crank pins. Yeah. And it changes how they fire. But for the bikes, R1 or Yamaha changed how they fire. So instead of going like one, three, two, four, um, and alternating where the two, so on a four cylinder sport bike, uh, one and three go up and down together and two and four go up and down together. But I believe that's how it is. It might be one and four and two and three, the outsides and then the two middle, but I believe it's, Some, it, it, it actually depends on manufacturers. It sometimes could, it's it could, one and yeah. three and two, four, and sometimes it's the outers, then the inners. But how they fire, like, so say one and three go up together. Well, one will fire as threes on exhaust. Yeah. And then it, so it, you have like two and two. So basically what Yamaha did, I think this is right. Someone might correct me, whatever. Basically what they did was like, if one and three go up together, they fired together. And then two and four would exhaust and or whatever. So it, it kind of spaced it out. And we've talked about actually before I was even on the show, you did an episode on Big Bang. Yeah. So the topic him and I were on was I wonder if you could take so the cars I used to race, they're dirt cars, and they race, they use six hundred cc sport bike motors. Now a full size sprint car uses basically a three fifty Chevy that's a four ten and it's a sixty or eighty thousand dollar motor making a thousand horse naturally aspirated. Um, there are more affordable classes, but that's world of outlaws. <laughs> um, so I was like, I wonder if you took a 600, if you could change the firing order to make it a little more big bang, if it would hook up out of the corner better and still give you the same horsepower at the end of the straightaway. And he was like, oh, I can't find any, I, I can't find a crankshaft or a camshaft. And I'm like, yes, you can. You just don't want to spend the thousand dollars or two thousand or three thousand dollars it costs to have someone make you a crankshaft. Yeah, because the motors do a wasted spark, or uh, the, like on yeah. so basically on the exhaust stroke they're going to spark, and the fuel injection they're running is programmable, so they could change the fuel injection to fi- to squirt fuel whenever they wanted. So I'm like, yeah, all you need is basically the camshaft to be different, to be 180 degrees off where it is on two cylinders. And he's, 
I, and I'm like, yeah, you just don't want to spend the money. Yeah. There's plenty of people that'll make you a totally custom camshaft. They don't give a shit. Damn. These rockers <laughs> are 2,500 bucks <laughs> this, for which, for the Beamer or something. Uh, no, it's for a, uh, SBC bore spacing 11 degree billet steel shaft mount rockers. Huh. 2,500 bucks. So, yeah, he'll make you some. It might, it yeah, right? might, it might oh, cost yeah. this cam right here is only 500 bucks for a Chevy roller cam. Yeah. But, um, but on a sport bike, you need two. Yeah. And if you were custom, if you were changing stuff, it'd be a little more. So, yeah, you, know, you could probably get a set of cams custom built for about a grand. Yeah. And that's another thing, too, is that some companies, Crower included, if you send them and mad, Max, Mad Max cams, or Ma- I think there's a cam company called Mad Max. You send them your cam, and they'll grind it. You just tell them what profile you want. Oh yeah, and, and you can uh, cam and reshape. You can the, weld them up and yeah. grind them and stuff. There's definitely yeah. a lot of things you can do. It the, just all costs money. Yeah, they will re. And sometimes they will reshape. a lot of times it costs a lot of money. Yeah. and we don't know if that would actually help the car hook up out of the corner. It might make it go. just plant yeah. the tire and just you know just wheelie out of the corner. And it might make you go last place. You don't, you really don't know. But what we were talking about was the bikes. Like the reason the new Indian does well, the reason the XR 750 did so well, honestly, the reason our shitty sportsters do surprisingly well is they've got that big bang style firing order Yeah, and it, it makes the motors not smooth, which lets the tire hook up. Yeah. And yeah, that's a theory because no one knows, but it's a common theory in a lot of dirt track riders. And your cams to... You know this this week's part is the camshaft that all gets in and out of your motor and achieves all that stuff via the cams because they the, they open the valves. The cams have a lot to do with that on the dirt stuff too. Yeah, you know it's yeah. You know what? And as we get as we grind go down through the motors, we can talk about cripple triples, which is sometimes people will take a four banger and they will purposely pull um, the plug and you know, on one cylinder to get the firing order like a, like a 270 triple, you know, like it's a weird triple, which will create sort of a big bang. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of stuff. A lot and then of people the people on uh, XS 650s would do twingles because the XS 650 was 180 degrees apart. So yeah. when one went up, two was down. Yep. Um, but the old triumphs one and two went up Together. at the same time. Yeah. So they, I believe they put a crank in the XS or maybe the XS fired different. Maybe the Triumph one and two fired one and two exhaust. And the XS was like one fired two exhaust, one exhaust two. I don't know. Yeah. They would, they would offset them so that they were changing that stuff. Yeah. 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 They would basically re do the crank. Then you have to redo the cam. I mean, once you have to do that, you have to redo everything. You need the tight, the valves to open. But I know on the XS 650, a lot of people did the twingles. The twingles. And it was, it was like, or maybe, and again, I, I've been over some of this with a friend of mine that was a coupe ball. Maybe the Triumph 1 and 2 went up and down together, one fired, one exhaust, and a common thing on the Triumph was to change them so they did go the same time. So it was like a huge single with two pistons. Yeah. I think that was the twingle thing. Yeah, and, and I know that the uh, the firing order on the Triumph was like 270 or something. So uh, even though they came up and down together, they fired just off of each other or something like that. So it was almost like having a thumper that had an extra bang there at the end, like ba bam, ba bam, rather than just like two bams at the same time to make a huge thumper, basically. But yeah, it's kind of how they control um, 
the you know it all has to add up to 360 degrees because that's how far your your piston has to rotate around <laughs> we'll get into that stuff later uh as for now i hope you guys have enjoyed this episode we got maybe a little bit coming up more for you I might add some more in here but we've been already yapping to you for a good hour and 30 some odd minutes so i think we might call this show uh if you have any concerns or questions or you think we got it totally wrong because we have we are a couple tumblers deep in whiskey and um, we took a couple breaks in there that weren't recorded, <laughs> so we might, we might have got off topic and forgot what we were even talking about. But give us a uh, hit us up at creative writing podcast at gmail.com, or you can always just check us out at creative writing podcast on Facebook. Smash that email button, hit that like button, <laughs> subscribe button. Um, check us out on Facebook, uh, Instagram, on Twitter. We are creative underscore writer for all you people that look to Twitter for the news and stuff like that. Um, and then on Tumblr. We're even at creative-writing. Check us out on the web, creative-writing.com, and uh, you can even send us an email to that. Um, Solstice Slam is going to be coming up this summer. Um, patrons, I hope everybody got, I sent our newest patron out, a patron pack, um, and anybody else that wants like a sticker or something, hit me up. Let me know um, if you guys haven't got them yet. Um, check out Wigs at Wig09, SoCal underscore hooligans, and Field underscore initiative underscore knives you might just end up with a knife we were putting together on the show yeah who knows um and check us out in all those fun places and in the meantime take it sleazy and uh check out our stupid blog because i shall be it's going to be wet this weekend i didn't say the word of the week but it's going to be wet and uh i will probably be stuck at home probably not riding again and it's probably gonna be too cold for the fiberglass to kick again so i will probably be crying but writing, uh, updating our blog finally for the first time in like a month. So that's all. If you got a word of the week, join our Facebook pay, uh, group word of the week. Thanks to somebody who joined this week, which was pretty, uh, pretty cool. And, um, we'll have some more upcoming events. I swear to God, I've been reading the same ones now for a month and I know there's more that I'm missing. So we'll update those and uh, check out mama tried this weekend in Milwaukee. All right. Well, Wiggins, do you have anything very important to say to the folks here? <laughs> I like how your finger's on stop. It is. All right, bye. I got nothing good. Bye.